0: If you're not familiar with what we do when it comes to the Lord's Table, we've been doing it for quite some time. It's just set up a little differently here right now. Is um, just something that we just, I just named it Table Talk. And it is simply an opportunity to think reflectively and to kind of focus our thinking around that which we are going to share together in a little bit as we come to share in the Lord's Table. And I want to do it uh, this week, by finishing up those last couple chapters that we've been looking at in the book of Revelation during this time on this study about understanding God's redemptive purposes during national distress. Again, first part of the study was to look at God and how he made himself known during very stressful times in, uh, at different times in different national distresses. But then we shifted that because the, the, the book of Revelation is about, really about global distress. As to what's going to be happening, and what we've been trying to do—it's an interest, It's always an interesting study. What we've been doing is just making some thematic comparisons to realize there are things God's been talking about through the centuries. He's been letting us know these truths, and and I want to I want to finish up today, if we can, with Revelation chapter twenty-two, starting in verse sixteen. Hear the word of the Lord. This is after, I should mention, it's after the holy city has come down. He has declared himself once again to be the Alpha and the Omega for the second time in these last couple of chapters. And uh, now, in that context, listen to this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so closes our Bible. Those are the last verses in our Bibles. And there's no way we can unpack all of it, but I would like to touch on a few things. In verse 16, Jesus said, I sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright in morning star. The bright and morning star is a, is a prophetic uh, reference to Jesus Christ. I want to spend just a little bit of time at the one I at the statement, I am the root and the offspring of David. We have noted a number of times now with intention, so we would get it by repeating it, that Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. As I mentioned, he had just said it a couple of verses before for a second time. And what we noted about that, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last is it is a statement, if you will, by looking at one end, looking at another end of God's redemptive work, and it is a statement that Jesus Christ has always been there, and He always will be there. That He is the one stable thing that we can count on, who is at work in all of this. But we gain that by looking at the beginning, looking at the end of Scripture. I find it intriguing when we hear now this reference to Him, When he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Well, what's that all about? I'd like to think of it in these terms. See if this helps you. Alpha and omega is beginning in the end. (laughs) Picture David in the middle. And Jesus is effectively making the same claim, but now by referencing something in the middle. Well, where where are you coming with that, Gare? You've heard or have read or heard a message on it from Matthew chapter 22. There's that interesting time frame where uh, they're kind of getting a little bit irritated with Jesus and they know we got to do something to stop this guy. And if you read chapter 22, first you you see the Herodians who come. And they're going to try and catch him in his word. So the Herodians ask that question. Is it, do, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? See, they figure they got him with this trick question. And they're concerned about taxes, of course, because they're the Herodians, they're the ones who've identified with Herod. And they got a political uh, element to their very existence. So they're worried about the tax. They raise the tax question. They figure they got him because why? Hey, if he says, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Caesar, the Jews won't follow him. If he says, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then... Uh, Caesar can come down and say, hey, you got to pay taxes. He'll, they'll get on his case. So he can't win with this kind of a question. Well, he answers it. I'm not going to go into that. He answers it for him, the question about taxes. And then some other group comes and says, all right, now the Sadducees come. And they throw out this long, involved story about a guy who dies." Now, the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection, right? We know this. They give him this long, prolonged story about a guy who dies and his brothers all die. They all marry this wife, which was, was required according to Leverett law. And now, what do we do? Because you get, into the, you get into the afterlife and whose wife will she be? We got you now. And he dismisses them. I'll let you read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 22. They think they got him. Nah, he's not hooked. Third guy comes along. This guy is a lawyer. And he asks, what is the greatest commandment? Explain to me the depths of the law. What is the greatest commandment? Thinking, I've got him. Dismisses the lawyer. And so three times, it almost begins to feel a little comical that one group after another comes, we're going to get them, and they all walk away with their tail between their legs. And then Jesus places a question to them. You'll perhaps remember the question. He says, "How is it that David, speaking, said that the Lord said to my Lord that he's a son?" And basically what he's asking is in David's question, in David's statement, he say, "Look at David seems to look at Messiah as his Lord on the one hand, and yet, he looks at Messiah, we know that Messiah is also going to be his offspring. Now, how can that be? How can, how can, how can David see the Messiah as one already existing, the one who, to whom he answers, and at the same time, he's, the Messiah is going to be his offspring? Because the offspring do not pay homage to the, to the parents, it's the other way around. Or the, uh, the parents don't pay homage to the offspring, I said that wrong. It's the other way around. The offspring always pay homage to the parents. Why is David acknowledging that this one who comes, he's like, how can that be? And they can't answer the question. Well, that gives it, you get this idea here in the root and the offspring of David. You have to understand, David David was told that Messiah would come from his lineage. He would be a son of David. That absolutely has to be the case. So how is it that David honors the Lord and yet it's going to be his son? They can't figure that out. Well, he's the root of David. He's the one that gives David life. He is the one behind raising up David. He is the sovereign one. Prior to David ever existing, he was there. He was at work. And this whole redemptive world that we see unfolding where David now is raised up as the one who would ultimately be father to, to Messiah. <laughs> who raised him up? Messiah. Jesus. He was there lifting up David, and he will be there as the son of David. He will be the offspring of David. Logically, it doesn't make sense, but in Jesus Christ, it does. Why? Because he's also the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one been at work through all of this. And now he is revealed here as the root The offspring of David. There's no one like him. No one in history who is like him. We need to understand that. That's just one thought for us to consider as we move through these final verses. And then he makes this statement I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm in verse 18. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Two things we're not to do. Add to the book. Take away from the book. We are to receive it as it is. Now, isn't that interesting that we're about to finish up the entire revealed scripture and this huge and heavy caution is laid out there. This huge and heavy prohibition is laid out there. Don't add, don't take away. Why do you think that's put there so firmly? Why does that sit there? Why are we ending up with that? May I suggest something? If this is is revelation, we're we're at the end of what God is revealing to us. In fact, we're just a couple of verses away from tidying this thing up. Why does he put that there? And if you've been following me on this, you know we always go, well, let's go way back to here. I could ask Vernon, but I won't. But he would know. Vernon, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be able to tease you a bit, buddy. It's just so good to poke some fun at Vernon. All right. Peggy, has he been behaving? You've been all right? Eh. <laughs> all right. What did the serpent do in Genesis chapter 3? He came on the scene more cunning than all the beasts of the field the first question he put was what? Has God said you shall not eat of every tree that is in the garden? Is that what God said? Nope. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only one prohibited. Satan added something at that point. And then when Eve gives her answer, And she says that, you know, well, we've been told that we'll die. What does he say? You shall not surely die. God made it clear you will die. And he took away from the word of God. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? That when we get to the very end, we are given this prohibition. Don't add to the word. Don't take away from the word. Receive it. As it is. Because when we start moving into that realm, as far as I'm concerned, we're now moving into the realm of the evil one. He loves to get us at that place where we figure I can add to it, I can take away from it. It's like very clear. So that takes us all the way back to the beginning. So this, if you're picking up on this, this whole redemptive work with all of these elements has been going on from beginning to end, and it's all one continuing work. Verse 20, he testifies to these things, saying, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And now we begin to have this sense of, with these final two verses, this sense of our own need, our deep need. That yes, Jesus Christ one day is going to come. He's going to fulfill all these things according to God's perfect timetable. We know that to be true. But there is this promise one that he's coming cuz when you see what's going on in the world in the last couple months, when you just look at some of the craziness that we have watched. Whether it is a natural issue of a pandemic and then how it whatever it does with people politically at the outset of this, you know, there was this war going on over gas prices. Well, we came out okay on that one for a season. I have a feeling we may pay for that later. But there was that kind of thing. At the beginning and at the end of this time frame, it's in our news. And I'm not saying that, this, that, that it's, it's not being used because people will want to use this but there was a very sad and wrongful death of a black man early on and a black man most recently. And now that has become something that is stirring up national unrest. Don't you just want Jesus to come? Aren't you just aware that this world is hurting, this world is broken? This world is not going to resolve its issues. We're just going to keep grinding away in the hate and in the deception. We are not getting better. Mankind is still mankind. And each of us has a deep, deep need. And we long for Christ to come. And so it says, even so, come Lord Jesus. And then naming that as an anticipation that we all know we need. Is this how you would have finished the scriptures? Think about this. The final statement in our Bibles, we all know the first statement in the beginning God. Do you know the final statement? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. A benediction of grace to finish God's holy word. How powerful is that, friends? Think about that. When we think, because we, we're thinking in a macro levels when we're talking thematically, when we think about where the Bible began, in the beginning God created, we know that. We know very shortly they fell. We've been making comparisons between the beginning and the end. And we follow, you can follow that redemptive work all the way through until you get to the book of Revelation and know what is coming. Is not the entire story of the Bible one Depicting for us God's grace available to us? Is it not that? Earlier in verse 17, we say, Let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The gospel that we stand on and the gospel that we share is a message of grace. It is a message that says, you know what? One simple thing. If we are willing to admit our need. If we're willing to admit. That we are broken. Lost. Dead. Sinners. There's grace. Ready to be poured out. There's grace. For our problem. There's a solution. To what we see. Breaking everything down. Around us. And it's a message of grace. That we have sung about it. This morning, we've sung about the reality that Jesus Christ, I at the end of the one verse, love so amazing. We sang that. We sang in two of those songs, I noticed, maybe even in the third. I didn't pick it up, but we, we sang of a ransom. That Christ has died for us. The only hope. The only hope. And this entire revelation is given to reveal that hope to us. And there's grace available for whoever is willing to admit they're thirsty, whoever is willing to admit they got a need, whoever is willing to say, you know, Lord, I really can't do it on my own. I really can't become a person of righteousness on my own. My daily experience reminds me over and over and over again. So, Lord, I bend my knee to Jesus Christ. And I trust him to be my savior. I place all of my needs upon him because I can do nothing, nothing to make myself righteous. And God says, there's grace at that moment when we become made new, born again. You know, it's been said, I didn't think of this. You know, we, we, we think in terms that. Jesus came to make bad men good. No. Jesus came to make dead men alive. And we gain a life in Christ that we did not have without him. So as we come now, for the first time within this fellowship, I think since last December, we did it all online last time, and for those of you who are at home, I hope you have elements available to you. As we come now, we come acknowledging the magnificent grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ we come acknowledging that this place this cross is our only hope it's the only place where a ransom has been made where the payment has been made on our behalf that we might be that we might be set free from the problem of sin and death so today if you Know the Lord in a personal way if you have trusted Christ. If you say, yes, I recognize my need my need, and I have, I have bent my knee to him, then I invite you to, whether at home or here, to participate of the elements with us. And as I always like to say, if not, if you have not come to that place acknowledging your need for Jesus Christ like the rest of the human world, if you have not, this is a good time to ask, why? And does the real reason for not coming to Christ hold up? Is it going to hold up when you stand before God one day? Is it going to hold up when you're confronted with the question of eternity? From a righteous God who made a way available for you and you said no? Hmm. Think about that. Think about that. Let us give thanks for the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's, it's humbling for us to consider the magnificence of what you have revealed to us of how it is we are ransomed. That our only hope is a body that was broken for us. That our only hope is in Jesus Christ who, who took on flesh to become a servant became obedient even to the death of the cross so that we might have life so, Father, we thank you for that broken body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us partake together. You know, having been with us before, that it didn't end there. Because here's what, here's what Paul wrote. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Something new was going to begin. It's an amazing truth. And we'll spend time thinking about this more in, in the months ahead an amazing truth as to what's happening in that very moment of time. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks for the, for the blood, shall we, Father? A new covenant, an amazing, incredible development in, as you are revealing to us your redemptive work to learn at that particular point in time, at that day, that you now were going to reveal in all of the wonder as to Christ's blood as the new covenant. Oh, Father, may we be moved to consider the magnificence of that so that it might literally change us and that it might might cause our commitment to you to grow even stronger. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us partake together. And Paul finishes with this statement For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We have just, in obedience to the Lord, we have just collectively proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have proclaimed the gospel together. And it is our responsibility to continue to proclaim it until he returns. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. The gospel writers tell us that after Jesus had shared that meal with them, they sang a song and they went out. You know our tradition. You know our tradition. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's stand together and we will sing. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior thou art. If ever I loved you, my Jesus is now." Let's sing together. My Jesus. Before, before we go, can I leave with you just one last thought? That's nothing new, but we're back together. And we have just had a celebration of love. We have just heard the word of grace. Will you please let that so touch you today that whether it's with somebody even before you leave here that you that, and we can't hug like we like to do, okay? We're like, nope, not hugging, all right? But some word of kindness, some act of kindness that you will take with you today, a determination that says, you know what, I'm going to do something for somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about starting a foundation, right? It may be nothing more than that phone call you've been needing to make for months. I've got to call that person. And you call them today and say, look, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know God loves you. Maybe something as simple as that. You'll know what it is. But please, leave here, consider that God would have you to share this love with someone else. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go, people. Thank you for being with us.